The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. Says the Chafetz Chaim, when someone is drawn into a machloket, they're not thinking. Matter of fact, that's the last thing they're doing. Says the Chafetz Chaim, I want to tell you an amazing story. Listen to this story. This is a wow. So back in Europe, a few hundred years ago, we know that in the days of the Tsar, Russian army wouldn't exactly give you a choice to enter the army, but they would actually abduct every boy from the age of 25 and up. It was a forced enrollment, whether you liked it or not. 25 years old, you serve in the Russian army. Now, this posed a tremendous problem for the Jewish community, because every time they had a son that reached 25, they were jeopardizing ever seeing that son again. And even if they did get to see him, but the way they would come out of the Russian army, their Judaism would be destroyed in the interim. So this was a tremendous issue. Lucky for them, the government official that took care of the draft of the new recruits on every boy in Russia that hits the age of 25 was someone who loved the Jews. And therefore, every time a Jew would come up with another story why his 25-year-old son couldn't come to the army, this Russian official would go along with it he would even forge papers sometimes just to cover up so that the religious Jewish boys don't have to be abducted into the army. And they would tell him all types of stories. We can't find him. He went off on his own. He got sick. He died. They would tell him all types of stories and he would laugh. He knows as well as they know that they were just trying to get out from saving their souls not to go to the Russian army. And he would forge the papers as if he actually looked into the excuses and gave the approval and saved many Jewish neshamot from going to the army. One time, one Jewish guy got into a terrible fight with this Russian official, but this was a bad fight. It involved a lot of money and a lot of pride. And this Jewish guy was so angry that he was ready to do anything just to destroy this Russian official. Anything. And he decided that he's going to go to the Russian government and he's going to give up this Russian official. He's going to go to the Russian government. He's going to tell them that this guy forged documents, that he take, took all the stories that the Jewish people told him. He didn't investigate. He would just push by any Jewish kid that's 25 years old on any excuse. And it was all a lie. And he knew it. And he forged documents. And that's the way I'm going to bring him down. And that's the way I'm going to destroy him. When his wife found out that that's what he was about to do, she came running to her husband and said, are you out of your mind? When our son turned 25 last year, we also went and said that he died. The Russian government's going to find out that your son was a liar. He's alive. They're going to come now and they're going to grab him and they're going to throw him into the Russian army. You're not going to see your son for the rest of your life. Why would you do that? And the guy says, I don't care. I'm going to bring this guy down one way or another. She said, but think what you're doing. You were the one that testified in Russian court that your son died. So not only is your son going to be taken to the army, you'll never see him, but then they're going to bring you up on charges. You lied under oath in Russian court. They're going to throw you in jail. What are you doing? Use your head. He says, I don't care. Let them throw me in jail. I don't care. Let them take my son into the army. I don't care. I am going to beat this guy. I'm going to bring him down. He is not going to win over me. 
Then finally his wife said, use your head. Snap out of this. You're in this crazy, ridiculous trance. You're not making sense. You're going to destroy your life, your family, over one dumb machloket. What are you doing? Take down your pride. And if not for your own family, what about all the Jews in Russia? It was this guy. He was the one that was covering up for all the Jewish boys that reached 25 years old. If you bring him down, do you know how many boys you're going to cause? That the Judaism will be destroyed. They'll be brought to the Russian army. They will be finished. For Klal Yisrael, let it go. He says, no, I can't let it go. I have to win. I'm going to bring him down. The chutzpah, what this guy did to me. The chutzpah, how he embarrassed me. And how he backstabbed me in business. I'm going to bring him down. I don't care if my son goes to jail. I don't care if I go to jail. And I don't care if every Jewish boy in Russia ends up in the army with no Judaism. He is going down. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Says the Hafez Chaim, once a person becomes enthralled in his own machloket, nothing else matters. There's no logic. All they know is one thing. I need to win. And he is not going to beat me, no matter what. Even if it destroys his own life. And that was Datan Vaviram. They said to Moshe Rabbeinu, even if you take out our eyes, even if you take our life, we will not make peace with you. We are going to bring you down. Thus is the horrific side of Machloket. It's a fire that consumes people and destroys them, their families, and their entire lives. And that's why it wasn't enough just to knock out the leader, just to knock out Korah. It wasn't enough just to knock out Datan Vaviram. Once they're enthralled in the fires of Machloket, everything got to go. Everybody got to go. Everyone is destroyed. This is an amazing concept. So what happened in that story? What actually took place? It hurts me to tell you the end of that story. This Jewish man actually went to the authorities and he told on this Russian official. And yes, he did get him in trouble. And the Russian official got off because he knows the other Russians and he bribed them. But he lost his position. But not that he actually lost the job. He stayed on and he kept the same position he was in till now. But when he saw what one Jew was ready to do to him at all costs to destroy him and all the good he did for the Jewish people, his hatred toward the Jews turned so fierce that from that day on, he would go out with search teams looking for the 25-year-old Jewish boys and make sure that even the ones that were sick going to go to the army regardless. He became from the nicest guy to the most ruthless because one Jew couldn't let go of a machloket. Unbelievable. The Chafetz Chaim tells us that in his town, there were two men in Shul. Now by the Ashkenazim, when somebody, when they lose a loved one and they go into Avelut, they don't just say the Kaddish like by us. They actually go and be Hazan you ever heard in Landau, someone would announce, is there a chiyuv? Basically, what they want to know is, is there someone in Avelut that must pray for the neshama and the deceased in the first 11 months of the year? 
So because of this, there were two men that year that both lost their parents more or less at the same time. So they were both achiyuf. They were both in need to make hazan. Both of them wanted to be hazan. So at first, one said to the other, let's switch off. He said, okay. But then something crazy happened. Where one of the men said, well, today I got here first. So you're going to have to wait till tomorrow. He said, we made up that we're going to switch off. doesn't matter first or second. We made up that certain days are yours, certain days are mine. doesn't matter when I come. He says, no, those are only the days that we come together. Now, I'm here first. I'm praying today. Suddenly, a bad fight broke out. And the machloket got so bad that some people in the shul went on this guy's side. Other people went on that guy's side. In the meantime, the machloket made no sense. But it was enough to attract enough people that the entire shul was divided in half. And it began to destroy the entire shul. To the extent that this guy drove the other guy out. And he insisted that no longer will the other guy be Hazan. He's the only one that's Hazan. Because he has the Chiyuv. And his father was a bigger Talmud Chach than the other guy's father. That's where it, how far it went. Terrible. At the end of that year, this guy, one of his sons became very sick and he passed away. The Hafez Chaim came to this man and he said to him, look what Machloket is doing. Now it took the life of your son. Stop the Machloket now. And the man said, no way. No way. He's not going to win. I'm going to beat him till the end. I don't care what it takes. And sure enough, this man continued to be the Chiyuv and the Hazan, and he would not give up the Amud, and he would not ask the other guy to come back to the shul. And the Machloket continued, and it spread from the shul to the town and to other shuls, and everybody had an opinion. And now everyone's talking Lashon Hara due to the Machloket of these two guys. And it just got, the fire just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Two months later, this man's second son dies. Hafez Chaim comes to man and says, listen to me. You're destroying your family. This machloket is destroying your family. You already lost two sons. Do you want to lose all seven sons? You know what this guy answers, the Gadol Ador, the Hafez Chaim? He says, if he has to bury all seven sons, he will. But this guy. Is not going to beat me. It's amazing. No logic. It's beyond imagination. But the fire of Machloket brings a person. Nothing else matters. They got to win. And they'll destroy until they do. Another such story Hafez Chaim tells over. Two sisters. These two sisters, turns out, they were very close when they were young. And sure enough, it came to the time of Shiduchim. And the oldest sister just could not find a Shiduch. Her younger sister, by one year, somehow or other, started to date. And right away, she got married. And this made the older sister jealous and even uncomfortable around her younger sister. And they realized that relationship, which once upon a time was really close, is now strained. At first, it looked like they just didn't get along. 
At first, it looked like that they were just uncomfortable. But then when the married sisters started to come over back to the parents' house where the single sister was still there, words started to be exchanged. And the older sister was extremely mean. And they realized that this was not going to be able to last. So without any choice, the married sister picks up with her husband and she leaves town just because she was no longer welcomed in the home she grew up in. Who? By her older sister that once was her best friend. But the jealousy and the hurt burned so deep, she just couldn't get past it. It'll never be the same. So the married sister leaves town. She moves to two towns away. And for years, these two sisters that were once so close don't speak. Now the story goes 25 years later. And the sister who never got married becomes very ill and very sick. She's on her deathbed. And she's about to leave the world. She writes a letter to her married sister. She sends it out. And her married sister receives the letter and opens it. And it says, my dear beloved sister, we haven't spoken in 25 years. I know that the way I reacted to you getting married was wrong, even though I never got married. Please, I don't think I'm going to live out the month. I would like to make up with you to get to see you one last time before I leave this world. At least we'll leave on different terms. Can you please make the trip back to our hometown and come see me one last time? When the married sister read this, an opportunity to get back her family, an opportunity to get back her sister, which was once her best friend. She turned to her husband and says, I'm going immediately. I want to see her. Who knows? Maybe if we bond again, maybe if we come back together, maybe that will heal her. It'll heal her heart. It'll heal her whole essence, her whole being. Maybe she'll live. So immediately the next morning, horse and buggy, she goes out and travels to the old town that she hasn't been in 20 some odd years. She comes home and she comes up to the house that she grew up in. And she walks through the front door, and the house is quiet. And her deathly sister is laying in bed in the back room. And she runs right into the room. And her deathly older sister looks up, and she says, Ah, oh, I was waiting. I was waiting to see you for the last time. I don't know if I'm going to make it for the last time. She puts her arms out for this big, beautiful hug. And her married sister comes running into the room. And she runs into her embrace, and they hug each other. And while the single sister is hugging her married sister, she reaches up and bites her on the neck. And she didn't let go until she tasted the blood coming down. Then she lays back down on her bed. As the blood is coming down the sides of her cheeks, she smiles, looking up at the ceiling, and she says, got my last bite. I took my last revenge. Now, now I can die in peace. Wow. Thus is jealousy. Machloket. But this is something that could take a person to a place that's so dark and so bitter that they're ready, no matter what, to lose everything. I am going to win. That human need, that need to win, is such a strong force. When coupled with the fires of Machloket, it's heated up, and it turns the person sometimes 
into an illogical, insane monster. And they don't care what's at stake. They're ready to lose it all. But I'm going to win. And I'm going to bring them down. One last bite. Jealousy, machloket. The worst of the worst. Amazing. The Chafetz Chaim had a son-in-law. His name was Reb Aaron Kohen. The big tzaddik. Tremendous Talmud Chacham. Reb Aaron Kohen travels from Europe to Eretz Yisrael. And he moves into the beautiful neighborhood of Sharei Chesed in Yerushalayim, the neighborhood of Rishlom Azam and Orbach. Rabbi Kohen, when everybody heard that he was coming, they were like, wow, such a great tzaddik is coming to Jerusalem. Rishlom Azam and Orbach was excited. Everyone was excited. This is the son-in-law of Hafez Chaim, Rabbi Kohen. It turns out the first Shabbat he comes to shul, everyone was happy. They bumped into him now and then in the street. They would talk to him and learning how lucky we are to have such a man. Then right after that, he disappears. No one sees him in shul. No one bumps into him in the streets. No one sees him in the stores. It's as if he vanishes. So Shulman Zalman Orbach sends somebody to his apartment. He says, knock on his door. See if he's okay. They knock on the door. No answer. They see the door's unlocked. They open the door. They look inside. And the apartment is empty. Not just empty with people. It's empty, complete. All the furniture, everything's gone. The apartment was cleared out. They go back to Rishon Mazam and they said, he's gone. He's gone. Mazam says, what? What happened? They started to ask neighbors and they find out that he went and traveled and left Jerusalem. He went to the city of Yafo. Rishon Mazam was very bothered. So he sent two shaluchim, two guys, to go find out what happened. So these guys traveled to the city of Yafo and sure enough, they tracked down Rabbi Aaron Cohen. They said, Rabbi Aaron, what happened? Did something go wrong? Did somebody upset you? Did something happen? Did we not give you enough honor? Did we not give you enough kavod? He says, no, no, chas v'shalom. He says, you've given me way too much, way too much. But rather, he says, when I was about to leave Europe, I went to my father-in-law, the Hafez Chaim, and I asked him, I'm going to Israel. What city should I live in? Should I go to Jerusalem? I go to Bnei Brak. I go to Tzfat, Tveria. Which city should I go to? And he says, my father-in-law, the Hafez Chaim, told me, it doesn't make a difference. It's all Kadosh. Eretz Yisrael is Eretz Yisrael. It's all Kadosh. If you want to go, go to Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim and HaKodesh. He says, but more importantly, it's not about which city you go to. It's more important about which people you place yourself amongst them. He says, if you see that you're around people in the neighborhood that don't get along, if you find yourself going to shul and there's always fights of machloket, then get up and run. He says, that's what my father-in-law told me. He told me, get up and run. When there's machloket, run. Because machloket is a fire. And fire burns. And fire does not differentiate between who's right and who's wrong. It burns everybody involved. Even the people who are right end up getting burnt. Machloket is fire. Run. The way God forbid someone would run out of a house that's on fire, that's the way you run out of a city with machloket. That's the way you run out of a shul with machloket. That's the way you run out of even sometimes friends who are ba'ale machloket. Sometimes you have to know when to tip your hat and say, hasta la vista. Machloket destroys. Says Rabbi Aaron Cohen, he says, I saw that the people in the neighborhood weren't getting along. I came to shul 
and I saw there were fights over who gets which aliyah. I came to shul, I saw there were fights, who gets which kavod. I said, that's it, I'm out of here. He gave up Yerushalayim Ir HaKodesh to come to some smaller little city. And he found a place where people were getting along. He says, I followed the words of my father-in-law, the venerable Gadol Hador, the Hafez Chaim. And that's why I'm here today. It's amazing. Machloke doesn't only destroy families. It destroys Parnasa. It destroys Mazal. Anything and everything that comes in contact with the fire of Machloket is destroyed, whether you're right or wrong. Fire burns. Doesn't differentiate between the right and the wrong. Machloket is ish, and ish is fire. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org.